From Foundation Capital, this is B2BS CEO, the show about how to scale your enterprise startup and how to grow from founder to CEO. I'm Ashur Garg, General Partner at Foundation Capital. This is a special bonus episode of B2BS CEO featuring one of Foundation Capital's own CEOs, Max Simkoff. In 2016, Max founded Doma with the vision to automate the consumer real estate closing process. The company started out of our San Francisco office, where I'm recording this from now. Foundation led his Series A, which was also the first check into the company. I should say the company was a startup, because just last week, less than five years later, Doma started trading on the New York Stock Exchange. You can watch the full story of how Doma went from a proof of concept to a public company in our new video series, Diary of a Startup. Just go to foundationcapital.com. But this episode of the podcast focuses on what it takes for a founder CEO to build a great company. Max walks us through all the critical first steps, even the seemingly trivial ones for starting a business. He gets into the minds of venture investors and what founders really need to do to impress them. And he lays out in no uncertain terms who exactly is and isn't a real entrepreneur. Max is a remarkable entrepreneur, which I have seen up close. And he starts off by talking about the core strengths that were most helpful to him as a startup founder. Public speaking, very important distilling complex topics into simple explanations, very important. A command of financial data and information, very important, Under, hugely underestimated. I think that the venture world does a disservice in allowing founders to believe like, you don't, you just need to pitch us on a great idea. No, you don't. Like every venture partner I've ever met when I've done a pitch or seen them watch another pitch, I know that one big thing in the back of their mind that they're always thinking about is, am I, are my limited partners going to think that I'm a genius for investing two, five, 10, 20, $200 million in this company? Or are they going to think that I'm a friggin' idiot? And am I going to be like looking for another venture job here at another venture firm that's not as prestigious as this one, where it's much harder to raise money and much harder to deliver returns, right? And so if you can walk through a peanut where you say, look, I've got a, a great news for you, Mr. or Mrs. Venture Partner. You sat through 20 pitches in the last week where someone asked you for $10 million on a great idea, and they gave you some nebulous way of making it someday potentially worth acquiring by some other company. I don't need 10. I need four. And the four that I'm asking you for, when I flow it through the very real P&L with very real assumptions about very real customers that I'm going to get through a very real sales motion, is going to be a company with $400 million of revenue, and it's probably going to be worth $4 billion. And your $4 million investment will then potentially be worth 500 million to a billion dollars, right? Like I, if you have a command of the numbers that good and you're a good public speaker and you can still like those things, I think will help you the best explanation I've ever heard for why people don't start companies is that they don't start them, right? Like everybody's got a great business idea, everybody. And there's a long list of people that say, oh, you know, I thought of that idea. Like, you know, you know how so-and-so did X? Like, I thought that would be a great idea. It's like, well, why didn't you execute that business? Because it's hard right? You have to convince people to join the company. You have to find financing. You have to sell your first customers. You have to 
you know, take out a second mortgage on your house. You have to go out with the, without a salary. Like these things are very real um, and they're painful. They're, they're, I, I hate that people use these things now in their, like, they're like badges of honor, right? I had to do this and that. It's like, well, guess what? So did a, a lot of other people whose businesses didn't succeed, right? Like for every founder who wants to talk about how they took out a second mortgage or went without a salary for two years on their way to becoming a great success. There's a hundred founders that did those same things and then their business failed. And like their mortgage, their home went into foreclosure, right? They had to lay off lots of people. Um, their personal relationships were ruined. I, one of the, I'll tell you another fascinating discussion I had with a founder friend of mine um, after they sold their company in a very successful exit. And this is somebody who's like the mensch of menches. I mean, they're just like one of the highest integrity people. I'd really admired them for a long period of time. And I asked them, I was like, what was the first thing that you did, you know, when you realized that you were, you'd like reached this pinnacle, amazing success moment, that huge financial windfall for them. And this person was like, the first thing that I did is I worked on my marriage. Hmm. And I was like, why? And they were like, because I actually, it took finally having the time where like no longer was this, all the stress of the company, even the company is doing very well, like I got acquired. It took that all happening for me to have a clear head to realize that I was about to get divorced and I didn't even know it. Like my relationship with my partner had suffered so almost irretrievably over such a long period of time because everything else had gotten put on hold. And this is something, this is like, this is somebody who is successful, right? And you don't hear that. And you, those are the stories that we should. So anyway, getting back to this is a very depressing topic, but it's like, one of the reasons you don't start companies, it's just like really, really hard. Most of them fail. Um, you can have the best team executing in the best way. And if you miss the market, like if you just, if you haven't even picked the right market, you're done. Like you're, you know, you could have the best people in the world executing on an amazing idea. And if the market product market fits not there, it's like pushing a rock up a hill. So a lot of things need to go right. Um, and the reality is most things usually go wrong. And that's, that's why, you know, it's worth pausing before you do it again. <laughs> first stuff you figure out is really basic. I mean, it's really bad. It, like, where are you going to work? Who's setting up the bank account, right? Like how, what are you running your account? It's stuff that founders don't talk about. You, if you don't do those things, you don't have a business. If you don't actually have a place to work and meet people and you don't have a way of tracking expenses and like, it's shocking by the way, how many businesses fail on this stuff? Like a year and a half after they're founded, they still aren't in a permanent office which is bad. Like it makes the people who join early days, they need so much is uncertain about a startup. You should actually, anywhere you can have easy certainty, pick it and commit to it, right? Pick QuickBooks. It's easy. Like every, every company starts on QuickBooks. You just pick it and run your PL out of there. Do not, do not, and I'm, I'm, it sounds crazy. I'm telling you not to do this, but many companies do this. Do not run an evaluation for whatever is the coolest, newest cloud-based GL for your startup. Because guess what? Your startup is not going to be made or broken on what your GL is, right? Or how it integrates with Expensify or whether you should use Expensify versus Brex. Those things do not matter, right? Like take whatever's the first promotional credit card offer that came through the mail to your office and sign up for a credit card, right? Um, just get all of the like stuff that can be certain out of the way. And then for us, it was like the, you know, there was a huge opportunity for us to revolutionize the entire process of closing a mortgage. But the reality is the process of closing a mortgage is basically like 15 different areas, right? All of which is its own unique business problem. The one that we honed in on was underwriting a title insurance policy. 
And then we said it was going to be specifically for refinance transactions. It was that narrow, right? It was like underwriting a title policy is like super inefficient and highly indicative of all the things that are problematic about the rest of the process. And it could be transformed through machine learning. And if you could transform it through machine learning, you could show that you could remove a huge amount of time, a huge amount of friction, a significant amount of expense from just that one piece, right? And if you could get that in the hands of a customer, that would probably be valuable. Now, the way that you get in the hands of a customer is much easier to do through refinance than through purchase. So we pick refinance transactions. And then we went down the like waterfall of, okay, if you were going to instantly underwrite a refinance transaction on title insurance, what would you need to have in order to do that? You'd need an insurance carrier. You'd need a balance sheet. You would need the machine learning algorithm that's going to make the predictions. Because by the way, like sounds like a great idea, but it hasn't been validated on actual data. You're going to need permission from Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, who are the largest buyers of mortgages in the country. Like all these things are very practical. Put them in a checklist and spreadsheet like we had them. We put timelines against them. Uh, and then it was like a daily iterative thing. Everybody who was on the team, that point was like 10 people, right? Checking in every day. Where are we on this? Did we get the meeting with the person at Fannie that, you know, will be able to approve us being able to run a pilot such that we can sell a customer who's a lender, such that we can start instant underwriting policies, such that we can prove that we drove value for one person, just one. Right. Because if we can do that, then we could sell another lender and we could get more than one person. And if we do that, then we can start moving our, our focus to more than just underwriting title insurance and more than just for refinance transactions. But it all started very, very narrowly and practically. I never thought about quitting. I think, um, and I could, but let me say in the same sentence that you always have serious doubts and that is healthy. Like if you don't have doubts about whether you're on the right path, you're a fool. And I have doubts all the time still, like, you know, are we putting too many resources in one area? Are we making enough progress, you know, on delivering a feature fast enough? Did we hire the right person, right? Um, for, you know, for any given area. Those, those doubts are always there and they should be there. I think fear is a, one of the most motivating things in the world, right? It, 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 face, it causes you to confront like the actual thing that stands between you and success. Um, but I never thought about quitting because you can't like the day you think about quitting as a, as a founder or as a CEO, you have an ethical responsibility to when you have outside investors, tell them like, Hey, I don't think I can do this. So let's go hire a new CEO or sell the company. Right. If you don't do either one of those two things, you're, I would argue you're violating your fiduciary duty to your, to your investors. I think the best CEOs are not great at any one specific thing. It's that they are good enough at all of those things to know when it's time to hire people who are great at them, right? Um, because the best, typically the best CEOs are CEOs of organizations, right? They're companies, they're other people that are specialists and they're the best in their craft, engineering, product right? Finance, marketing, sales, operations. Anytime you watch somebody at any one of these things, people, like people operations, when you watch a great people operations exec do what they do best, right? Figure out how to set up a compensation structure that actually motivates people to want to like deliver great things for the company. It's, it's, it's an art. They're like really, really good at it, right? So for me to be like, oh, I'm a really good people CEO. Like I'm just great at recruiting. It's like, really? Like now, you know, hopefully what I would like to define me as a CEO and what I was best at was nothing in particular. It was knowing the time 
that we needed to hire a chief people officer and get great at recruiting and hiring. And knowing the time we needed to bring on our CTO who's changed the trajectory of the company with his vision for our product. Um, knowing when it was time to, you know, when we wanted to hire a CMO, know that we needed a product focused marketing executive, right? Somebody that was heavily intertwined with what drives product value in an industry that doesn't even know what a product is, right? Title and escrow. You know, if you were to talk to people that I've worked with, they might say that I am, you know, that, that some of my strong areas are things like sales uh, or um, financing, which I think, by the way, is another form of sales. Like you're selling investors on why they need to believe that putting a dollar into your company is going to yield, you know, $50 of return. Um, but I, I, you know, I, so, so, so those are things that I feel more comfortable in doing and I enjoy doing them, but I'm mostly working on honing my excellent craft of being good at nothing in particular. This idea that founders, you know, are just, they, they're destined to start a company. And so like they embark on this journey of what company should I start? I think, I think that's generally a bad idea. I, like I've had people ask me, I want to, people say, I want to be an entrepreneur. I said, what does that even mean? You want to be an entrepreneur, like that you just told me that you're basically a wannabe. Like, don't tell me you want to be an entrepreneur. Go be an entrepreneur. Tell me that you found a great idea, right? I think the definition of an entrepreneur is somebody who's able to achieve extraordinary outcomes with limited resources, right? And so you are by definition an entrepreneur if you've done that, and you are by definition not if you have not. You know, what makes a founder a fa like a real, fa like a grit, somebody with grit who can't, like they just have to do something if they've got some, something's wrong in their DNA, right? Their risk tolerance is off. It's really off, by the way. Like I, now I, I think about if I could ever work for somebody, like if, if I could ever, you know, let somebody else decide the direction of the organization that I was working for and just, and, 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 and participate productively in influencing them and guide and like doing the things that great executives do, right? I don't think I could do it because there's some, there's something's wrong in my genetic code. It's, that's where I feel like I'm most comfortable. It's like, I know where, I know what I want the future to look like. And then I want to get really practical about how we're going to get there. And I don't have a lot of patience for when people are like, well, you know, but is that really the future? It's like, no, no, that's the future. That's it. That's what we're marching towards. And we're not going to debate it. Let's talk about how we're going to get there. That's it for this episode. You can find past episodes and subscribe to future ones on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. B2B as CEO is brought to you by Foundation Capital, an early stage venture capital firm with 27 IPOs, including Netflix, Lending Club, Cube Mogul, and Sunrise. I'm Arshu Gard, a general partner at Foundation Capital. I'm passionate about helping B2B entrepreneurs who are trying to solve hard problems. So if this podcast speaks to you. If you are interested in growing from a technical founder into a business leader, drop me a line. Thanks and see you next time.